The secret effect sometimes covers family violence, which could be triggering to someone who has experienced abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Katie Greenland. I'm a sociologist, writer and researcher. And I'm Liz Kemery. I'm a professional comedian, but I spend my spare time making people uncomfortable, talking about true crime or just fucked up shit that people do. Which is where we come together. Because when I was 28 years old, I discovered that my dad had another secret family. <laughs> this experience inspired my PhD, which is called Family Secrets, Secret Families. And with it, I explore the impacts of major family secret discoveries on people's lives. Oh, Katie. <laughs> we realize the importance of our voice when we are silenced. I'm just so inspired by you, Katie. I'm, I'm going to take off my bra. I'm going to put on my socks. I'm just going to sit back, relax, eat some chips, and listen to you telling your story. Oh, gross, Liz. <laughs> Just a podcast. <laughs> no, no. I'm Liz Kemry. I'm the comedian. And I'm Katie Greenland. I'm the sociologist. Welcome to episode two of The Secret Effect. Get into it. <laughs> um, okay. One thing I want to make very abundantly clear immediately, Katie, is the fact that we've never met in person. Mm-hmm. We've been talking for a couple of weeks. We've never met in person, but what I've noticed is because it's quarantine, because COVID-19 is happening, uh, we've only chatted via Zoom, I'm realizing that I have never spoken to you in my life, in our relationship, mm-hmm. with pants mm-hmm. on. <laughs> that's true, that's true, um, but you do have wonderful knees, I think that makes up I have good knees. I had, I'll never forget this. I had a kid in high school. I know exactly who, but in case he listens to this podcast, I won't mention his name. He nagged me and he told me that I had fat kneecaps. Fat kneecaps? That's a very specific insult. Fat kneecaps. And I was like, I remember being like, I got to worry about my kneecaps? <laughs> like, what? how am I going to do that? How am I going to, how do, I, I, I probably Googled how to slim down your kneecaps. Like, <laughs> crammed them in a door for a day. <laughs> I was like, that'll do it. Uh, I can't, I'll never forget that. But yeah, he said, I have fat kneecaps. And now I think about it all the time when I look at my kneecaps and I look at other people's knees. <laughs> You're comparing Aww. kneecaps yeah but I don't I love my knees <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. safe yes. to say that I have a great relationship with my knees nowadays <laughs> yeah yeah so suck it bleep that bleep. guy <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are yes um no you have no idea you've lived a life and haven't thought of it once okay we're back here we are <laughs> this is it <laughs> episode two of the secret effect and we'll we'll see kind of we get to see um so much more about like uh, today and um your relation you know I, we have and your relationship to her um and everything through this episode which I'm really excited about I'm just really mm-hmm. excited to hear about because last episode when we were talking um you got emotional at the mm-hmm. at the point when you were talking about your mom um I don't know if that's clear in the recording but I certainly saw it um, and, uh, that was just really powerful for me to see. And, um, mm. 
<clears throat> just such a an important part of this story mm. is the three of you especially as well um your sister and your mom and your your relationship throughout all of this mm. um but we are going to start with uh mm-hmm. uh can you tell like start with like where where he grew up and um kind of like his situation growing up Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. He grew up in a really lovely family, actually, a really nice family with um, uh, a mum and dad um, who were both hardworking people, really nice um, little family, and he was the youngest of four kids. He has three older sisters, so he was the only boy and the golden child. Oh, well, yeah, that's um, my family. I have, oh, yeah? There's, yeah, there's, um, I have two older sisters, they're twins, and then my younger brother. Um, yeah. And he's like, he can do no wrong. Yes. Somehow, I don't know whether it's being the only one of a particular gender or being the youngest or maybe a combination of it. But yeah, I think the person in that position kind of lucks out a bit. Yeah, um, definitely. I, yeah, my sisters are, were also angels. And yeah. then I was my parents' nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My dad always says, to this day, you were the one who pushed all my boundaries. <laughs> and then my little brother, you know, coming after me, it was like, oh, that's all you want to do? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think you paved the way, though, for the younger ones, actually, yeah. as an older child. So he should thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he, do- he does. He's my best friend. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, like... I, I, I'm, I'm happy to think about my behavior as positive in some way because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was definitely um, a little shit. <laughs> I just thought I knew it all, but um, yeah. middle children, uh, mm-hmm. we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so he was the, he was like the could do no wrong youngest mm-hmm. um, yes. in the family. Yes, exactly. He was um, he was spoiled a little bit, I think. Um, and the three older sisters really cared for him a lot. They doted on him and they loved him. So he grew up in a family that uh, wasn't wealthy or um, anything like that. But it was it was a comfortable family and it was a family that was full of love and it was a really tight knit family actually. So. Um, my grandma, she's 95 years old oh now. Oh my goodness. Which is really amazing. So she's, um, yeah, living by herself, going strong. Um, living by herself at 95. Yeah, yeah, she's really badass. <laughs> um, yeah, really independent and stubborn and lovely, really sweet, lovely um, person, very creative, and she writes poetry. And um, yeah, she's a generous lady. Yeah, wow. it's. Um, yeah, she's really sweet. So she um, created a wonderful home environment for all of her kids. Um, his dad died when he was about 20 or 21 years of age. I'm not sure. It was either one of those ages um, in the mid-70s. Um, and I think that did affect him. But, of course, he was already grown up and married, uh, not married yet, but... He was already grown up and, you know, out of the home by Mm -hmm. that stage. So, and it was a heart attack. It's not as though his dad was sick or anything for a long time. So we couldn't kind of look to that as a reason or 
some kind of influence on the person that Pewa became because his childhood was a very um, comfortable and loving childhood. Yeah, I always find that question so fascinating between nature versus nurture. It just... I mean, me being obsessed, uh, <laughs> I, I hesitated halfway through obsessed, but I am obsessed with serial killers um, yeah. and psychopaths and stuff. I, I'm fascinated. I, I always This is how I explain my obsession to anyone who asks me about serial killers. I think, okay, listen, if there was an alien race that landed on Earth, would you want to know how they tick? Like, would you mm-hmm. want to know more about them? And to me, psychopaths are aliens mm-hmm. <laughs> like because they just don't work like your average human being they don't function in the same way mm. and you know I think there's so much of anyway there's so much of mm-hmm. that like you have the standard and what is crazy and now we're getting so much more of a deep dive into mental health because we're talking about it where um we're giving more kind of weight to it which is so massive I can't wait to see what comes out of like the next couple of years instead of just slapping depression on someone's forehead and moving on um but yeah I'm always so fascinated with that because like it's in so many respects it's nurture and so Uh many in so many different times it's just they're born that way Mm -hmm. yes and you know and then it's also the whole society question there are so many different inputs there Mm -hmm. Um, exactly so many factors I think that's exactly uh that's exactly right I mean it's like they're humans but the humanness has is stripped away and they're mm -hmm. kind of these robots so aliens robots all of this kind of thing this is what you're left with without the human elements um, yeah, so it is really interesting to reflect on that. Um, yeah. um, it's, yeah, we definitely can't look to his family at all to explain any of the behaviors that he has. I don't believe. Yeah. I, I think it's, um, all of the blame and all of the responsibility for who he is and his actions sit squarely with himself and, yeah. Um, everything he's done has been his decision yeah. and it's all his fault. All of the things that he's, he's done and the person that he is, is it's him. Nobody else should feel um, responsible or as though they had anything to do with it. Um, it makes me um, choke up like and tear up when you say that so um, with such conviction. And mm. I, it just, it's incredible that like you're, you are like a victim of his behavior and you are able to really kind of wrap your head around it's everything that he did is his mm. fault. Absolutely. His, his mum, my grandma, she gave him everything she possibly could and she's just a beautiful, kind and caring woman and mum and grandmother. But yeah, it's it's amazing how good people feel as though they should maybe take some of the responsibility. But she, yeah, it's all him. It's yeah. all him. So yeah, I mean that's the difference, isn't it? Is uh, between her and him is that she mm-hmm. feels responsibility for his behavior. Uh, I think it would be more telling if she was like, "Oh, I have nothing to do with that," and then you'd yeah. be like, "Huh." <laughs> Mm-hmm. I wonder if you do. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I know that we're going to talk more about her uh, in later episodes as well. Um, mm-hmm. About the kind of what he put her through um, in all of this. Uh, what about um, like hobbies or mm-hmm. um, ha- habits? Uh, I know that you said he lived a secret life. I mean, a, a double life. Mm-hmm. Pretty. Have, can you tell us about that? Mm. Yes. Um, he was very interested in sport in terms of hobbies. He's um, an extremely competitive person, and I think sport is a natural outlet for so many people mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to being competitive. Um, and he used to play a whole lot of different sports and was very talented at them when he was a young man. He also played sport as an older man as well, or at least, you know, not a kid in his, his 50s. Um, he played rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a sport where you can be really fucking violent. Like these guys are thugs, some of them. <laughs> and it is such a rough game. And I think it was a way for him to be really, well, violent in a sense, but um, it's, um, what's the word? I can't think of the word, but where it's almost encouraged in that environment because, you know, the tougher and more macho you are, the better yeah. on the rugby field. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so, yeah, I'm just trying to think of what other hobbies he had. I don't really remember him doing a whole lot other than playing sport and driving us all bananas. Um, he did a lot of shift work as a police officer and we would all often not see him around. And that is, I think, one of the ways how he got away with having the secret life and how he could live in, um, how he could kind of access different, the different families that he had and how he could, um, kind of fudge the numbers when it came to time and, oh, I'm, I was working a double shift and things like that and. Who knows what he was doing? Yeah, I should I, I I should say he's still alive. Yes, yes. I don't even know if we've said that yet. He's he's out there. <laughs> yeah, he's out there. He's out. I mean, now that I think about it, because that golden boy was kind of forgiven anything, and maybe he just grew up with this um, belief that he could get away with anything if he just duped the people around him. And I don't know, I guess he became very good at that. And mm. when you combine that he doesn't really have a sense of responsibility or, uh, or empathy or guilt or any of those things that we feel when we lie mm. or when we deceive the people that we love or that love us, plus this, um, this arrogance um, and a desire to do all of these illegal or immoral kinds of things that are hurtful. The way that people in the community looked at him, it was completely a facade, but he was seen as this like hardworking and upstanding person who was always helpful and 
um, a great bloke. Mm. That term got bandied around a lot. Got um, what around? Um, bandied around. <laughs> Just having an Australian moment there. What's um, bandied? Bandied around. Um, maybe like waved around. Okay. Bandy yeah. it. Ba- yeah. Bandy. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just say bandied around. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from, but yeah, people would think, yeah, they would bandy that term around. He's a great bloke, great guy, um, always helpful, always up for a beer, family man, all of this kind of rubbish. And I just thought, oh, if only they knew the truth, if only they knew. But he had so many um, points where he accessed the community through our sports, through our schools, mm-hmm. through um, his own friends, through, yeah, through any point, like in the local community as well. Um, and people just had this idea of him that was not true. And yet he was helpful. He did go and mow the lawns and he did drive someone somewhere if they needed it or lift something or help them build a patio or whatever he would do these things yes (laughs) um but yeah you know he'd come home and fly into a rage and in your own community did you ever feel like uh, I just want to tell everyone Mm -hmm. I just want to tell everyone what he's really like and did you I did feel like I wanted to um I did tell some of my friends at school that my dad was really horrible person and he was abusive um I felt um I mean I never really told people the full story as a kid I felt shame actually about it this word again yeah it's it plays such a massive role Absolutely. It's paralyzing because you feel shame and you feel embarrassed and you feel Mm -hmm. like, how can I be disloyal to my dad? This is my father. How can I, and and you can't reconcile those things as a kid because you, you should look up to your parent and you should think that they're, um, they're, they know everything and they'll always be there for you. And, you know, they're your parent. They're, they're the top for you and yeah they'll always look out for you and so feeling as though there's all of these issues with them and wanting to talk about that it just doesn't fit and yeah I did keep quiet a lot actually and just absorbed it which is a coping mechanism I suppose maybe not the healthiest one but it's it's what I did yeah I, this is where like the nurture versus, um, nature, right. Uh, who knows, right. Or, and maybe we'll figure it out more and more, uh, in the next decade or so. Mm. But one thing that is for sure is society and, um, the system itself is fucked because I think it perpetuates the behavior, especially for men. And that is something that is clear right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, like, uh, like we'll get to, in a later episode, the boys in blue, like, the other police officers who facilitated this behavior. Um, and, like, people's reaction to you losing your father um, when he left your family mm-hmm. and uh, their reaction to that. And you were surprised by that because you felt free, mm-hmm. which we'll also talk about later. But it's just, like, 
nature versus nurture, not really sure, but how these like men are able, and I'll say men, I'm sure, you know, there's women out there that do bad stuff too Mm -hmm. with, in this regard, but like mostly men, um, get away with it because of the society kind of gets their back Mm -hmm. and that's like, like systemically needs to change. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. It really does. Um, I think women, and of course it is normally women, they are often so beaten down and so just exhausted from fighting for survival and fighting for their own mental health and that of their children if they have children that they're just not even really in a position to call things out. Um, And the way it's framed, you know, when men abuse women it's like oh she provoked him that's still out there she drove him to she Mm -hmm. drove him to this um she just wouldn't stop nagging he's a great Mm -hmm. guy he just lost it there's these kinds of things that are still so so prevalent this attitude that really excuses and by excusing it it enables it and it encourages it and it allows it to fester um people just get away with it they keep yeah. getting away with it. Yeah. Even with your, even with like your mom where it's like, uh, you know, well, on one hand people would be like, I would assume people might say, this is an example, but like, and I'm not sure what happened, but, um, well, oh, well she's staying with him. So, you know, she should just leave if she's being abused. Mm-hmm. And then once your mom left, it was like, oh, how terrible. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you guys went through a divorce. And then also just in the meantime, thinking about whether or not to stay or whether or not to leave, it's like, I have two children. It, you make it very, very hard for us to raise a child uh, and for me to have a job and him to have a job at the same time. So now I have like a lack of work experience mm-hmm. uh, and he's going to go off and have a job and have no responsibility in this divorce. And I'm going to have no experience because you didn't give me an option. I can't work while I have children. And I have two children. I have the resp- I have responsibilities. Mm-hmm. It's it's lose 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 lose. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. It's just so difficult for women to get through that. And I mean, the reasons they stay or the reasons they leave, it's all about safety and survival. And sometimes it's just a lot harder to leave. I mean, the threats that yeah. men make, the intimidation. In, in my parents' case, it was extraordinary violent and abusive situation when all of your supports are being cut off. Friendships need nurturing, and if you're not mm-hmm. engaged in a friendship, you know, some people eventually after a couple of years might be like, oh, well, I never get to see each other. What's, you know, what's the point? Why would I keep going? And the loss of a mm-hmm. good friend is so sad. It's so sad, yes. and, I, and I don't blame them at all. They didn't know everything because thanks fuckhead but yeah you know this is this is the position that you ended up in and it's it's really sad like the abuse actually it's got tentacles and it creeps into all of these different areas of of a person's life so it was really sad as a child for me to watch my mum go through this and so many different elements of her life uh that whole thing as well um was shame um we I know so many people uh, in so many different 
like levels of that. I think that's going away more and more the more we talk about it, which is wonderful, which is why I encourage just talking about it so much more, sharing stories. Um, like female friendship especially is so integral to like how we survive <laughs> and it's it just it gives us life. It's huge. We get so much out of our female friendship, but that's never been the case where we get to talk about like that we we put um as much weight on that i think because it was always the focus of like the nuclear family 2.5 kids your husband your husband is the your one and only the thing that you need but you need so i need i need my friend um jenna because she makes me laugh every day Mm -hmm. i need my friend melissa because she gives me that spiritual side of things i need you know all these different people in my life for different reasons are so important to me he really, you, he, isolate, isolation is mm-hmm. always the case. You see that with cults, mm-hmm. you know, you take them to the middle of the woods and cut off their communication with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's key because they know that you need that to survive as a happy human being. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And as somebody who has clarity, right? Because like, uh, I, I moved to London because I fell in love with a guy mm-hmm. about four years ago and it like kind of had that isolation effect. Mm -hmm. Not really. I was friends with his friends, but there was no escape from him because his friends were also his friends. And even just in that relationship on, uh, on a minute level, Mm. I was confused the, almost the whole relationship. Mm. I was so unhappy and I didn't know why. And I couldn't figure it out or escape it just because I was alone. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Yes, exactly. And it really does function to, to take you away and to make you more reliant upon that one individual. Um, it's, yeah. it's such a successful strategy, unfortunately, that that abusive people will use, and it really works. Yeah. You, you really just, yeah. yeah, you really do get isolated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no, no, my ex is not abusive at all. Just <laughs> to like, clarify. <laughs> just to clarify, he didn't isolate me on purpose. Yeah. Uh, I, he's like one of the most amazing human beings in the world. It just didn't work out. Um, just to put that in there. <laughs> he didn't do it on purpose. Um, we tried to make it work. But I want to hear about Jerry. Yeah. Jerry, where that was, grew up. Mm-hmm. Family she life. was a country girl. She grew up about five hours drive from the centre of Melbourne. Um, So she lived on a farm in a little wooden house that her dad built and they had no water and no electricity and all of this kind of stuff. It was like the olden (laughs) days in Whoop Whoop. What's it called? Whoop Whoop. Uh, That's an Australian term which means absolutely in the middle of fucking nowhere. I call it bumfuck nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. Just yeah. whoop, 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 whoop. She lives in whoop, whoop. Yeah, any town in the middle of nowhere is, is called whoop, whoop um, to an Australian. Um, so, yeah, she lived out there and she rode horses. In fact, I think she was, like, riding horses before she could even walk. Um, wow. And her parents, my grandparents, were dairy farmers um, and extremely hardworking and lovely people. My grandpa um, was very much a man of the land, a very quiet and kind and softly spoken man who could name every single plant, every single 
flower. He could whistle with all of the birds. And oh my god! Yeah, he was just like a man of the land, a very simple and straightforward and kind person. Um, uh, yeah, he was a treasure, and he grew the most enormous pumpkins, like yeah. 170 kilo pumpkins are extraordinary. So, what? yeah, he used to talk to his vegetables and anyway. <laughs> That's enormous. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. 170 yeah. kilos. Yeah, they were crazy. What's that? What's that in pounds, Pat? What's that in pounds, Pat? Producer, producer, Pat. 500 maybe. I think it's times mm-hmm. 2.2. So yeah, it'd maybe be or 450 or something. Hands. I don't know. Impressive, girl. I see you. You know that. Okay, I see you. Oh, we got the thumbs up from Pat. You're like, wow, so like 500. Big. Wow. Anyway, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, so he was uh, good on the old I vegetables. I love people like that. I'm so jealous. If there's one thing I just have no clue, I wish I could just walk around and be like, oh, that's a summertime. Fleffle neck. And it only grows in the underskirts of blah 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 and I'm like wow you know everything about life don't you yeah it's so beautiful you could walk through the the farm with him and he would be pointing stuff out and he had a fruit orchard and I remember collecting eggs from the chickens that he had and he used to name the chickens and um (gasps) he would name the chickens I know so cute I remember Hoppy Hoppy was a really cute one obviously that was hopping around something was wrong with one of her feet um, oh my god chicken yeah. first chicken is my favorite word <laughs> oh yeah it's my it's my favorite word Diddy. and I've recently changed my stage name uh <laughs> and to this word that found me mm-hmm. and it's a, the original meaning behind it was chicken yeah um it's Biddy. The The name is Biddy. It's from Philadelphia. And it, it's kind of like slang for like so many different kind of negative words uh-huh. for women. Or But basically, it's basically like saying like that chick. Yeah. Chicken. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of repurposing it. Yeah. It's <laughs> my name. It's such a cute <laughs> word, it Biddy. It is. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I've always loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, why is this negative? It should be positive. I love it. Me and my Biddy. Where are my Biddy's at? <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like buddy. Where my buddies at? My buddies. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's cute. girl, girl version. Yeah, yeah, that's so cute. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Okay, so everything is so picturesque now, except for mm-hmm. the running water part. <laughs> right. Yes. So they did um, eventually get. Um, they they built an, another house, which was. Um, also on the property and yeah I think they when they got a little bit older they sold the dairy farm part of the farm but they kept a few um acres I think they had about um 28 or 30 acres I don't know what that is in hectares if you guys have hectares I'm not sure acres okay yeah acres okay so that was pretty small compared to what they used to have um wow 30 acres is massive what did they used to have no idea something big (laughs) hundreds I suppose I'm not sure um yeah that was like my favorite little Australian moment yeah something 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 big big. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so yeah they had my mum had a really nice um childhood and she yeah she had two older brothers, so that was something that her and my dad had in common. They each were the youngest child and the only one of that um, gender in the family. Yeah. 
and my mum's older brothers are really lovely guys. Um, they, um, one stayed out in the country and one sort of went, moved to the coast. He was a bit more of a surfy dude. And, um, yeah, so they're really lovely guys and they looked out for her and the school that my mum went to was so small. I think there was, because it was such a farming kind of and rural um, environment to grow up in, you can understand that not many people were so focused on academia because, you know, they needed to just get out there and help their families on the farm or in the, the local business or something like that. But my mum was super smart and super determined and she was like, fuck this little country town, I want something more. And so she was the top of her class in the last year of high school. There was like 12 people, but go mum, go mum. <laughs> and she, um, yeah, she got the top marks and she got a scholarship and it meant she could come to Melbourne and go to university, um, which was so exciting. And her for her, education was the ticket out. Um, so she had this really conservative high school she went to with these Catholic nuns who used to um, beat the children with um, sticks I suppose like um, corporal punishment wise but I call it beating with sticks because that's like that's actually what it is um, yeah why are we making it like yeah with corporal punishment right. it's you're hitting them with it's <laughs> it is it's horrible if your hat wasn't straight or something like this yeah. So, yeah, she escaped this um, small, very, very small country town environment and she came to Melbourne, the big smoke, and she went to university and um, you could basically study to become a nurse or a teacher in those days. This was the, um, I think, about 1974. If you were a woman? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's that's all you could pretty much do. And she was like, what? I think I'm going to become a teacher. And so she did. <laughs> and she's actually the perfect teacher. She's very kind and caring and puts so much effort into the work that she does. So it actually was wonderful. And she's stayed a teacher her whole career. So since the 70s, she's been working with a teacher. And she's a really wonderful one. Um, was she teaching while you were growing up? Yes. Yeah. Of course, she took time off to bring up my sister and I for a few years um, but she she was teaching yeah she her main thing that she teaches is English but also history literature social sciences and um, other subjects like that in the humanities social studies that kind of thing to <laughs> teaching is so hard yes I just don't think people like we you can be on the side of uh, pay teachers more, teachers deserve more, um, and still not understand how hard it is <laughs> to teach. It is so unbelievably hard. Mm -hmm. uh, in so many, the, you're, you're balancing so many different things at one time. And to like not have an escape from something difficult when she goes, when Jerry goes home, and then to come back in and have any ounce of patience blows my mind mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she's such a patient person so patient she's yeah she's extraordinary really and the amount of effort that she put into the students I mean she called them her kids oh my kids are doing this my kids are doing that Ugh. um and yeah you could just see the love that she had for it but she works so hard even to this day 
<clears throat> excuse me, she works like seven till seven every day. And of course on the weekends as well. Um, she's just, yeah, she just can't get enough of them, even though I think it's pretty frustrating because now, I mean, I grew up in Melbourne with her, but now she lives um, back out that way in the country. And it's a similar kind of environment where the kids are, um, and the families out there, they are farming families, they're families where um, education and university is not valued as much. I think it's more common these days that the kids are interested in doing a course or something after school or even finishing high school. But it's definitely, she's got her work cut out for her to motivate the kids in And as a prime example as well. Yes. That's so charming to go back and be like, I did it, you know, it's great. And I, I got a scholarship and I went to university and you can go and you can live in Melbourne and you can have this, you know, exciting adventure. You just work hard. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. That's right. I mean, you can travel. There's so many things that she tries to open up their minds to. Um, yeah, it's really inspiring. So, so your mom rode horses before she could walk. Yeah. She was a go-getter, badass, decided to be like, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna print out my own one-way ticket out of here mm-hmm. by working my butt off, going to university um, from this whoop-whoop town and, uh, and um, become a teacher, graduate, become a teacher, have this, like, career going for herself. And then she meets... Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, that's right. When did they meet? Um, how old were they? I don't know how old they were when they met, but they met in Melbourne um, and they got married when they were both 21. So it must Babies. have... Babies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess at the You're time... You're 21 years old, you are a baby. You don't get married. <laughs> you know nothing. No. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're practically still a teenager. Although I suppose that was the done thing at the time. I guess that was that was 1975, so yeah. pretty pretty normal, I guess, or pretty common for people to get married yeah. in their early twenties. Yeah. Um, so my dad had gone to, I think he maybe tried university. I can't even remember if he tried and just flunked out or did something like that. But he academia wasn't for him and being told what to do wasn't for him so he he never pursued anything like that and he instead went into the police academy and um decided to become a police officer so yeah somewhere in between it it would have been maybe 1973 something like that that's when they met and uh and then and they were married and you said um they didn't start having kids until a couple of years later which was unusual for the time mm. quite a bit later actually i was born in 1984 so it was yeah 8 years really after they got married which is quite a long time when you consider that most people maybe in the day would have gotten married in order to have kids or that yeah maybe the expectation would have been that they had them straight away but yeah they they waited quite a while um and I don't know why that was the case um so yeah and it was just the two kids that they had together 
um, in, right. in the 80s, but yeah. And then uh, when, like we're talking about more so about their relationship um, and even how you viewed um, that relationship, I'm just curious about like, uh, the one thing that we haven't really met, we mentioned it briefly earlier this episode, but, um, one, he was incredibly manipulative, mm-hmm. um, like you were saying, and he would isolate her. Um, and then there were other manipulation tactics that he would do. Um, and also we, he had a secret family, which we will get to, we'll talk about that family in depth in a later episode mm-hmm. when we introduce your half-brothers, um, but the affairs mm-hmm. he had, mm-hmm. and can you tell us about that? I mean, the, the big one was the one that he had with um, the lady that he had the two boys with, mm-hmm. uh, my two half-brothers, um, and that started when I was um, just a little baby. I would have been around one or two, and the story goes, I'm told that he as a traffic cop, liked this young lady, got her number, ended up obviously being with her and had a family with her, like two kids with her. Um, But this is how he met. And it just makes me think, I wonder how many times he did that. And that's just my guess, but I assume it wasn't the one time. Um, But the way that my mum, she sort of put two and two together. She saw when she was doing the, the washing, the clothes washing she saw in his pocket a woman's name and a phone number and she thought hmm okay interesting you know whatever but I think that was indelibly tattooed on her brain this woman's name and number and then a few years later the same name came up again so and she was like when she said whatever that was survival mode Mm -hmm mom decision to say whatever yeah i mean what can you do you've got a one-year-old or a two-year-old or however old i was like you just yeah i benefit the uh, benefit of the doubt the mm -hmm. shit out of that situation Mm -hmm. and pray that you're right that's right and i mean confronting my dad is something that you you could try doing but you would be punished relentlessly like the the response that you would get from him for questioning him for doubting him for creating some kind of a um because of course you couldn't just have a discussion or a debate it would be a fight basically it's it just wouldn't be worth it and I I understand why it would have been pretty much impossible for my mum to to do anything I mean she couldn't stop him anyway. Yeah. You know, what are you going to yeah. do if you have a one or two-year-old little girl? Like, if yeah. you need to protect yourself. Um, yeah. It must have been devastating and it must have been sad and really concerning. But, yeah, this is the first big one that my mum found out in terms of manipulative behaviour. Like, this is your fault. You've driven me to, yeah. into their arms. You, you haven't loved me enough, you haven't done this, you'll oh treat this, you, because this is the way that he would act and everything suddenly became her fault. So this is 
my guess, I don't know this for a fact, but yeah. I would yeah. say that whatever he did, he would frame it in a way that he would um, take zero responsibility and make everything her fault. And I can just see him using this, using this behavior of his to get back at her. Not only is he fucking around, but he's actually blaming yeah. her for it. Wow. Uh, yeah. Of course, I'm sat here thinking like, yeah, of course, yeah, you know, of course, that's a possible. That wouldn't even cross my mind that he would be like, "Yeah, this is happening, and this is your fault." It's almost yeah. admirable, like how you could get away with this kind of stuff. You have to be one intimidating, manipulative person. I mean, but it's all these other variables, right? You know, it's like he's being built up by people around him and that his behavior is okay and seeing other men do similar things mm -hmm. and also just you know having that kind of shameless confidence to make it happen mm -hmm. Ugh. and so and also I know that you mentioned that he like some of the other kind of wild behaviors between that that Jerry put like I don't want to say she put up with but I like mm -hmm. in a in a very strong figuring it out what do i do kind of like taking it and when i say she's taking it not even in a passive way in a very active strong in, from my perspective way is like dealing with other behaviors that he said like something like the m money issues and mm. yes absolutely um he would do things like um, um, buy really expensive jewelry for her and give it to her as a gift. Um, then he would steal it back from her to punish her for something um, that she had supposedly done, which of course is just nonsense, but it's just part of the um, abuser behavior. And he would sell it supposedly or pawn it or I remember one, he apparently threw it into the ocean out of devastation. Like it was just all of this um, overdramatic rubbish. But anyway, he would do this stuff. And what we think he was doing is actually giving the jewellery yeah. to other women. Yeah. Or maybe selling it. I mean, who knows? Who knows what he was doing? Mm -hmm. But these are the kind of things that he would do. He would buy um, expensive things and then take them away from her. Um, and it was ridiculous. My mum was not somebody who was materialistic or yeah. valued any of this stuff. She would have much right. rather just a nice, friendly man to have a partner in life. Like that's what yeah. she wants and that's what everybody deserves out of a relationship. And instead he would do these absurd, crazy things Um yeah, and he also, um, they owned a little flat, a little apartment, and he sold that. It was only in his name, even though they were both paying it off equally, and he sold that and kept all of the money. Um, and did she know that that had happened? No, no, she found out. Um, and this isn't something that she felt she was able to take forward either she just ended up missing out on all of this money which was supposed it was their retirement money or their money for later oh, in life like oh their little investment and it was 50 50 and of course he just took it that's that's devastating mm. 
that that's something that's devastating because your mom was planning on it like when a little bit of me when he when you said that um he was stealing the jewelry Mm -hmm. and then giving it to other likely giving it to other women I can't imagine he actually went to the ocean and threw it in there like he wouldn't (laughs) he wouldn't he wouldn't titanic that moment but um he like but a little bit of me was like, you know what's so fucking badass about him thinking he's playing this game and he's winning in that moment? Like, we know now, looking back on the story, or we know from an outside perspective, like the listeners to, of, of this podcast potentially, and me and you, it's like, you know, it was just sad at home thinking, I don't fucking care about your necklace, you dumb boy. <laughs> I don't fucking care what you do with that jewelry. Yeah. Like, go ahead. Yeah. Give it to a mistress. Throw it in the ocean, you lunatic. Because she is a wonderful human being. So it's like, woohoo. Like, every time he does it, you feel like you just look cringy and dumb. And your mom looks like even more of an amazing, angelic woman who I just want to be my other mom. (laughs) (laughs) She is your other mom, don't worry. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're going to regret saying that. (laughs) Yeah. And then... And then, you know, but, but the, but the retirement plan, yeah, you know, that's just that, like, that's where you're like, no, fuck. That's right. It really is. It's so abusive. I mean, it's on that financial level, but it really hurts because it's something that, um, they were working towards together. And even if it just had to get split down the middle, um, my mom didn't get what she'd worked hard for. Um, she, yeah, he took away not only her and he abused us, but he took away her money. He took away some aspects of her future. Like to feel as though those things are ripped away from you by an abuser. Um, and then with things like the jewelry, like the, it's the roller coaster ride of emotions that you get put on by this huge act of love supposedly being given this expensive fancy gift and having these compliments showered upon you and then having it ripped away it's like no matter what he did when it came to the financial abuse it was um yeah he really wielded this power when it came to this kind of stuff and it it sends you on an up and down and up and down it's really hard to cope with and I think my mum probably would have felt like she was crazy, like one minute she's the queen of the world and everything's incredible and maybe there's a little bit of hope that things are going to be okay and then the next minute, you know, you get punched in the the guts, like the hypothetical guts. So, yeah, pretty pretty hard to deal with. I I like thinking about um, the moments where... Um, this is going to sound bad until I explain it, but like, I like thinking about the moments when, um, was absorbing the abuse. Um, and you say that like, um, you know, Colin was wielding this power Mm. and in those moments of being kind, he kind of wielded that power. And I feel like, no, ugh, like, I don't want to, I don't want him to feel that way. And then now for me and like hearing about her absorbing that power is, the most powerful aspect of this story. She is the most powerful in the story. She is the strongest one. Uh, and that 
one makes me want to cry. I want to swell up with like pride and admiration, pride for women and admiration for your mom. Um, and it, because like what, like whatever power plays, like he does have power over her in like the situation, but she's the more powerful person because she's stronger, uh, than he ever was. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're actually making me cry because you're exactly <laughs> right. This is, she is much stronger and the, the quietness of her and the kindness and she always forgave him and she always gave him other chances and she always tried to do the very, very best and she always had so much integrity. Oh, I yeah. fucking have no idea how she did it. Like, no, no idea. She just endured no. so much. And, yeah, it's um, it's amazing. Like, her resilience is, is very powerful. But it's a very quiet power. It's, it's yeah. not this bombastic, crazy, macho, physical, manipulative, sociopathic, yeah. nutcase power. Like, the, 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 the type of person that my... Um, it's just this quiet power, but yeah, it's, it's like the difference between someone coming at you, swinging around a baseball mm-hmm. bat, they have power, right? And they scare you and you don't want to get hit, but you're, if someone walked up to you and changed your mind about something or touched you like emotionally, like your mom probably did, especially to her kids in her classrooms mm-hmm. and stuff, it's much more powerful and it stays with you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's, um, yeah, I think, yeah, when, when you say it like that and I think about the impact that my mom, oh, I'm crying <laughs> for the listeners out there. I'm crying. That's why I'm causing. Um, yeah, she... I feel like all of the the good qualities that I have are directly from her. Yeah. She's your mom. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing and yeah. A very inspirational woman and she would think I'm ridiculous for saying that. She'd be like, Oh, be quiet, don't be silly, don't be silly. Because of <laughs> yeah. course she's modest as well and humble. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, she's just yeah, she's pretty pretty incredible. So, my sister and I are very lucky to have had um, such a extraordinary parent, who, in her resilience and intelligence and kindness, taught us more than we would ever need to know, and more than than maybe two parents can teach in many families. Definitely. So we're so lucky to have had her. That's episode two. <laughs> you good? Yeah, good yeah. tears. Yay! I love it so much. I just, I, I just, I, I'm so, I'm so happy as well that I, I, we got to um, make the the tilt of this episode heavily 
that's what I wanted. I was worried at the start that maybe we spent too much time on because I didn't want to give him much time. But then when we started coming out with um, Jerry, I think that's the... That's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really happy about it as well. She's really, yeah. Yeah. She's the star of the story for me. So I know it's me telling this story on this podcast, but yeah, she's, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, there's only, there's only one thing on my mind for this episode before we call it a wrap. Um, um, okay. Were there moments that, uh, you saw her trying to, in the moment, kind of fight back? Um, so all of these kind of ways that you hope to prevent or reduce conflict, um, she would try and do these things. Um, I don't really think it would have mattered whether she screamed and yelled at him or, but I mean, maybe in just approaching it in a very quiet way, she was preventing it from getting a lot worse. Um, so it was probably very skillful of her and she would have been shit scared a lot of times because of the possibilities and the potential and the threats that he would make against her, against himself, against the kids, against whoever. Um, you never know what he would have done, but yeah, I mean, she did stand up for herself and she did try and also advocate for herself outside of the like the physical or the the personal interactions between them she i remember her wanting to organize some counseling for me because she was worried about me and um i of course knowing everything about the world (laughs) said no which i just really should have gone (laughs) to but anyway um she you know she really cared and she really recognized that and I think that is a way of standing up to him because it says me and my kids deserve some support this is not right and we are going to do something about it and yeah she always tried to create the safest possible environment and it was impossible because of him but she did always try and create a safe environment for us yeah again proving that she's like incredibly smart and strong because you said like you said which always sticks with me is so uh, uh, just like hits me so hard Mm. is when you said we were constantly trying to figure out the rules of his game and they were always changing and they didn't make any sense Mm -hmm. and she's doing that on a whole new level um, while having protecting two small children um and doing mm. what she can to make sure that you guys are safe and she's safe while, like, not real like, he's not realizing that her kind of being small and absorbing it is her being big and stronger than him and a wall, you know, between his erratic mm-hmm. behavior and yes, the safety exactly, of exactly. you and your sister. Um, and he was just so physical with the way that he wielded his power and there was a lot of psychological and emotional abuse and threats and intimidation. Intimidation was so strong, but you're right. I mean, she was able to absorb a lot. Um, of course, having outside people believe in you and having support from people is just so critical. And 
in my mum's case it was it was essential and I think that was what finally helped her it was like the foundation that then she could stand up and say you know what you've got to go now and by that time me and my sister were I mean I was 15 and so um yeah maybe things had changed a little bit um in our circumstances and she did she, yeah she uh, yeah. she said I don't know out. how she did it but somehow she okay. convinced and him to leave and so eventually he did she kept the house that they were living in I think she must have paid him out or got some arrangement with the mortgage um, because she had to start from scratch again with not having the investment I remember the day when she told me she paid off the house oh, she was like it took me I don't know what it was like 50 something years but I've done it I've done it and she was so proud and yeah, me and my sister were so proud of her and it was just this really amazing <sighs> moment, like, fuck. <sighs> fuck. You know, everything gets delayed because <laughs> 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 she got there. Oh, oh my God, that moment. Oh. Because it reminds me also, it's like, it's just a grander, it's a, it's a grander version of the moment you, you had um, told mm -hmm. me earlier about the divorce papers. Yes, that was a bit of a subtle moment. She was just like, I've got the, got the paper. Um, but yeah, here we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, paying off the house was a really big achievement. Um, and it was finally like, I've done this thing by myself and I've got an out from under you and now you're just a ghost from the past. That's it. Like you're gone. So, yeah. Oh, goodbye. Oh, I love that so much. I love, uh, yeah. Yeah. You are. She's a hero. A hero. <laughs> uh, uh, Thank you for um, being great, and thank you for Katie, because we love her. <laughs> <laughs> Secret Effect, episode two. From whoop whoop to whoop whoop. <laughs> I love it. Um, oh, I have to mention this. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. Um, Last episode, we said that we wanted, um, we're going to set up a Patreon so you can donate to this episode uh, or to this podcast, and we would love that. That would be amazing. And we also really, it's important to us that 10% of all of our Patreon will go to an organization that Katie has chosen uh, because she has worked for them before. It's Women's Health East in Australia. Katie, can you tell us about them? Yes, this is um, an organisation that's based in eastern, uh, in the east of Melbourne, in Victoria. Um, it's an organisation that works with and for women, um, and it focuses on women's health, um, women's rights, sexual and reproductive health, um, and it's a really fantastic organisation that does some incredible, very, very valuable work with women. So we would um, be thrilled if you would be happy to support us and support them as well. 
Yeah, amazing. 10% of all of our Patreon will go to Women's Health East in Australia. Mm -hmm. And next episode <laughs> thank you producer pat i'm just like i'm just, i'm so happy with just everything and i'm so inspired after this i just keep forgetting what i'm supposed to be doing i guess also <laughs> um but yeah so um next episode we are going to focus more on your relationship with colin then and now and some of uh, the deeper sociological effects from your perspective on um, everything. So uh, follow us, like and comment, and donate to our Patreon. If you want to follow us, know when next episodes are coming out, see some pictures uh, from Katie's life, you can follow us on Instagram at The Secret Effect. The Secret Effect is produced by Patrick Collins with music by Sasha Hudemacher and your hosts, Biddy Kemry and Katie Greenland.